Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. This time we're going to talk about another relationship issue, and that's the issue of trust. We wanted to do an episode on trust because it's frankly been a major issue in our relationship and possibly many relationships that involve a codependent dynamic or recovering codependent may have trust issues as well. And then we got a very timely and provocative question from a listener about, essentially about trust. Yeah, I mean, in in the question, it doesn't actually explicitly mention the word trust, but fits perfectly with what we're going to talk about here. So in answering the question, we more or less are using this question kind of as a thing we can introduce at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, basically involving more or less, how can I trust myself? How, how do I know I'm making progress? Mm-hmm. How, how do I know I'm not doing codependent behaviors? Because, yeah, I mean, they're kind of sneaky, right? I mean, I could... Oh, and you were very good at that. I was very good. At, I was a pro, you know? Yes. So how do I know... You know, he even mentions like the podcast isn't just some way to please you. Like right. I'm just, I'm now I'm just people pleasing you, but I just found new techniques or something. That's, that's a great question. And, and how do you know? And also mm-hmm. how do I know? And how do you know? Right. That's part of it that is left out of his question really is that there is another person on the equation or persons. So it's not just me trying to monitor it myself. Hopefully, you know, you have people in your life that can be helping you through this or should be helping you through this. Otherwise, there's no way to really even know, really. If I'm just completely on my own and I'm not interacting with anyone, because codependency is an interpersonal relationship problem, more or less. You know? Right, right. If a tree falls in the forest. So those th- those two questions really have come up consistently in our relationship. Um, how do you know you're making progress? What does that look like and feel like for you? And how do I know that what you're saying and doing is a demonstration of your authentic self, of Jekyll, not Hyde, as we used to call you. Right. Codependent Brian and authentic Brian. Yeah. And when thinking about this whole issue of trust and doing an episode on it, it it actually seems that really the codependent behaviors are dishonest at the core. And so if if those are the dominant interactions and behaviors in, in a relationship, how can that be a trustworthy relationship. So we thought we'd talk about the ways in which trust has been an issue in our relationship. And again, it is very connected to the codependent behaviors. And the first one is this aspect of trust that involves honesty and truthfulness. Yeah. This is often the one that people go to first when they talk about... Right. Can I trust you? Are you telling me the truth? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the most common, I think. And this came up kind of explicitly when we got to the point where I was learning a lot more about your relationship with Jay, you know, I had witnessed actual interactions. So I had my own information as well. Mm -hmm. I wasn't just relying on you, but I also got conflicting information from you. Right. And I brought up that we were going to have to talk about the fact that early in our relationship, you seemed to be lying (laughs) completely to me about Jay and the nature of that relationship, such that I didn't really know at all what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. And do you remember your reaction when I said that? Oh no, I don't remember right off the right now at the time. You said I, I didn't. I never lied. Oh right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. And you said it. it, it yeah, believably. Right. Well, yeah. This is one of the things about honesty, right? I didn't 
even realize how dishonest I was. You know, it took it, it took well into this process before I realized about this dis- reflexive dishonesty because I thought I was telling the truth, but the truth in quotes that I was telling was wrong. So, because I I had written these stories, and then and then I part of my validating the stories is saying I'm out loud to other people. So. But you were getting inconsistent stories from me. So like and one I was minute, observing things, right? Yeah, you're observing things firsthand. But then also one minute I'm saying, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, the relationship with Jay was fine, more or less. But, you mm-hmm. know, I, I just, you know, run his course or more or less kind of, you know. And then other times I'd be saying these horrible things about her if it fit into the particular conversation we were having. So we talked about it more, you know, over the course of, I don't know, weeks even. And, and you started to look at some of the past behavior and I started to bring up examples and you're, and you started to realize well, that you did lie. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this kind of created some interesting discussions about conscious lying and unconscious lying mm-hmm. because, as you were saying, it was so kind of reflexive for you. So you did it on reflex. It wasn't necessarily right. that you were thinking about, oh, I, you know, I need to tell a lie here to mm-hmm. get myself out of that situation. You just did it. It was yeah. just so habitual. And there are some people that will consider that just universally bad. Lying is always bad. Lying is always even abusive or destructive. For instance, we famously, Immanuel Kant, who's this moral philosopher, took that position. Yeah. Lying was always, is always immoral. Yeah. So he even has this example that people kind of struggle to understand. If you have a murderer knocking on your door and you're harboring or protecting a friend in your house from this murderer and the murderer asks you if your friend is in the house, uh, it's okay. wrong to right. lie to the murderer. <laughs> right. A lot of philosophical debate has been <laughs> generated by that example. And people take it seriously, but I'm not of that view. <laughs> I do think intention matters in terms of the line and kind of how conscious it was and what it was directed at. And it seemed like, and it still seems like, that your habitual line was directed at self-preservation. Yes. I did not see your line. When I said that to you, mm-hmm. it was not about you're a liar. <laughs> and right. You, and, and you didn't tell me the truth and I can't be in a relationship with you. It, it seemed kind of clear even then that your line was similar to there's a murderer knocking on the door uh-huh. except that murderer is coming for you right and, and the murderer is yes. shame and fear right <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good it's <laughs> a good analogy and and the murderer is asking are you in there mm-hmm. and so and you would lie and say no <laughs> or, yeah. or can right. it, um, there's a better story to tell but like that like mm-hmm. it is born of of, of shame and fear yeah. and protecting yourself, not controlling or manipulating me. Yeah. I mean, that being said, it, that's not attainable to continue in a relationship with no. someone who habitually lies. I mean, right. you, you just, you can't, you can't do that. But interpersonal relationships have been so fraught for you mm-hmm. that they became a source where you constantly felt you needed to lie. Well, I mean, this habitual dishonesty for me just started right from the start, I think, with with my my experiences with my dad and with G, um, in order to to keep myself safe with them, mm-hmm. more or less, I had to find ways of appeasing them so that I would be safe from their behaviors, and so it just it became reflexive very quickly for me, and then it was just a way of life for me and kind of a go to thing, whether I needed to do it or not. Not there's ever a need to do it, but I. I guess you could say when I was a child, I needed to do it. Right. These were threatening, physically threatening, emotionally threatening situations Mm -hmm. where if you didn't lie to G, you could have gotten very hurt. Right. (laughs) And 
similarly, you must have felt in some way if you didn't lie to your dad that that was also a very dangerous situation. Yeah. For instance, if you didn't like something or you weren't complying in a certain way. But it, it was interesting. There were, there's a, an example where it became clear how, how habitual it was. Mm-hmm. We decided to see a couples therapist, really because of this issue, because you were having trouble trusting yourself and I was having trouble trusting you. I think we mentioned this before. And we were also having an emotional co-regulation issue, I think, where, mm-hmm. where like each of us were trying to be- express something that was painful and I couldn't handle you expressing painful emotions at all. You know, it would trigger me and I didn't know why. And then I'd lie. And yeah, it was just wasn't going well. So we decided to do a little write up about our relationship and then why we wanted to see a therapy. We did it separately to, and then just kind of compare notes to see if we were on the same page as to why we were doing this. And so you read yours and the first part of it just kind of this is who we are as a couple. It was pretty much all made up. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the allies were very similar, but, you know, you kind of left out, I think, anything that was perhaps threatening or controversial or, yeah. or something. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, that's BS. Like, I'm seeing, you know, you're telling to me I was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I went down. And why are you lying to a therapist? Like, right. This is someone we're supposed to talk to truthfully about. It was this completely washed out, incorrect mm-hmm. version. It, it was is if I had already kind of rewritten the thing is, is we've already, we had already come to an agreement on the reality of, of many of these things for weeks leading up to that point. Mm -hmm. So I was reverting back weeks or months with this write up that I did. Mm -hmm. It was bizarre. Yeah. So for instance, yeah, included, Oh, you know, the relationship with Jay had just kind of played out and I decided it was just lopsided. It was lopsided. Right. Yeah. Even though, right. We'd been talking for weeks, maybe even months about abuse, abuse, and yeah. and and even codependency mm-hmm. and narcissism. Yeah. So it was just again interesting how your first instinct when into entering into an interpersonal emotional space is to withhold and divert. And so that kind of brings us to the second part or the second dimension of trustworthiness that we want to talk about. So the first one being mm-hmm. put in situations where there was emotional threat you reverted back to your childhood strategy yeah and fear and shame were, were my triggers so if mm-hmm. i felt either one of those things it's like oh I, I had to immediately go to whatever i needed to do to get out of those feelings the second aspect of trustworthiness is reliability mm-hmm. or competence yeah am i capable of telling the truth so yeah i mean that's huge too like i was starting to say when it came to the truthfulness part a lot of times i thought i was telling the truth mm-hmm. because I had this whole system in place where, you know, lying to me gave me shame. I didn't, I didn't enjoy doing it. It's not like something that I even, as I, as you pointed out, I didn't think I was a dishonest person Mm -hmm. because I had myself convinced that I wasn't because I would often, I would have already told these lies to myself long before I told it to you. And sometimes long before may even be just a few minutes, but I've, told this lie in my head, I've supported it, I've rationalized it, I've removed any sort of emotion from it because the shame makes me feel bad. Mm -hmm. So I've had to wash it out so that the shame is gone. And then now I can say it out loud and then I say out loud and I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm telling a lie. So that's what I would call or what, what we said, you know, this unconscious versus conscious, but that it's all conscious. At some point I lied in my head or I lied out loud. At some point I lied and and then I changed the story. Either either I did it like that or I or just like you put me on the spot or something and I had to do a quick lie. 
Yes, although there was also the case that, that you had huge gaps in your memory. Mm-hmm. Because some of the things, if they were not dealt with by lying, they were dealt with by compartmentalization. Yes. There'd be situations, maybe you didn't tell me a lie about it, but you immediately put it in a box. Yeah. And so it wasn't incorporated into the larger story. And, you know, there was evidence of that as well, because there was just evidence, for instance, in our relationship, where I would say, well, you said this. And yeah, I didn't I did. say that. <laughs> and then when we go back in the text, oh, yeah, I did yeah. say that. <laughs> and you had kind of no memory. Yeah. So how are you going to tell me the truth about your life and about your past when you don't understand it? Because it was also, you would accept other people's lies. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about in the episodes around narcissism and we talked about your relationship with these narcissists. They had stories about you, stories about your family, mm-hmm. stories about themselves, and you would accept those lies yeah. and internalize them. Yeah, and then carry them forward, and, and and then many of those stories were the stories I was giving you when we met. Yeah. Yes, and, I, and when I would challenge them, you know, in terms of well, what's the facts behind the story, what's the actual situation, you couldn't back them up with any kind of reality because they were all made up in in these mm-hmm. narcissist's mind. So your kind of ability to navigate the world in a realistic way was pretty compromised. Yeah. And so that makes it difficult for your partner, in this case being me, Mm -hmm. being able to trust you as a partner. I mean, I have to say, in general, you're one of the most reliable, competent people I've ever been around. We didn't have that. You generally do what you say you're going to do, and you're, you're very good at your job, and you're very good at being a domestic partner and a financial partner, et cetera. It was really in the emotional space, yeah. in the inter- interpersonal space, yeah. where this reliability was compromised. Yeah, exactly. So once again, the shame and fear being the driver of that. So even well before we understood trauma and trauma triggers and, mm-hmm. and that shame was was the trigger in many cases, it, this was just happening. So I was just unreliable because we'd have a conversation, it would end well, it'd be like, okay, this is what needs to be done. And and a good example would be just, okay, go think about that. Basically, there would be something that I needed to spend a little more time thinking about because it was lost. Like you said, a lot of my memories were lost. I had to do some forensic work to think about my past. And in the early, early days, I would say, okay, yeah, I'll do that. But then the second we part ways or we the conversation's over, I get washed over with shame. I have no idea that I'm getting washed over shame, but I do. And fear. I can't think about that. Oh, man. I spend like two seconds thinking, I go, oh, that's horrible. I can't think about that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't. And then it comes up again inevitably in four or five days. And it's like, okay. And then I, and then now I'm washed over with a new layer of shame and fear <laughs> that I didn't even think about it when I said I was going to. And, and, you, then, feel, and you feel incompetent. Yeah. Not up for the task. And then you, the trust you have in me goes down, down a notch. The biggest challenge for me under this heading of reliability and competence was I'm pairing my fate with you. I'm putting my eggs in your basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when it comes down to it, when there's a threat, are you going to protect me in the relationship or are you going to protect yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Because that's really what was happening with a lot of these lies. Again, they were, you were protecting yourself, but you were doing that at, at the expense of me knowing the truth and of our relationship and our intimacy. Right. So it was, can I rely on you going forward that you will say, tell me the truth, even if it's shameful, even if it's scary, if it means saving our relationship and protecting me. Mm-hmm. That that was the, the trust issue there. And the competence is, are you 
even if you're willing and want to do that, <laughs> tell me the truth. Are you able to do that? Yeah. Am I capable of it? And that kind of ties into the third aspect of trustworthiness that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. yeah and that's, do I even know myself to begin with? Do I know what I'm, what I'm working with? What am I being honest about? Do I know my wants and needs and desires? Do I know why I'm in a relationship? Do I actually agree with, say, the level of intimacy that we've agreed to? Right, because I saw you and understood at this point how you had taken on some of the narratives from your past relationships when R described your relationship in a certain way or J described your relationship in a certain way. For instance, one of the lies about the J relationship was that you had great communication. Mm -hmm. when, when And, you know, I observed both past written ones and current ones. It's like, no, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This qualifies as great communication. But that was, was her lie. That's something that she, you know, she right. put out in the world a lot, like even posting stuff on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. And then, then that was a lie that you, okay, if she says it, it's true. Mm -hmm. And then it's true. So I would question, is that what communication, good communication looks like right. to you? Is and, and, and you would say, well, no, 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 it means this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, are you just telling me what I want to hear about? Yeah, <laughs> right. Our relationship. And yeah. Yeah. Did telling you, yes. Oh, yes. That's what I want. Because that, yeah, it happened several. We've mentioned a few of these before mm -hmm. that happened several times throughout the earlier days when you asked me about you know, my expectations of relationships and stuff like that. And I would say all these things, but none of them were true with my previous relationship. So it's like, well, is, yeah, is he just telling me what, what I want to hear or does he actually believe these things? Does he know himself? Does right. he know what com good communication is? Right. Does he know what intimacy is? So we had a lot. <laughs> yeah, we had on all all three of those. Right, and this challenges. kind of just kind of cracked me up when I was thinking about these different types of trust. When I was taking my notes for this, was mm -hmm. just like, wow, I fell short on all of that. We had a large hill to climb. We did at the beginning of this. And just to go back to the listener question for a minute, how do you know and how do I know that you're actually making progress? Well, one, mm -hmm. you were able to prepare for this episode without going into a shame spiral. I mean, I didn't oh, see any yeah, shame, I right? Know. Well, that, that is a good, that, yeah, that is a good benchmark. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of ways to know. Right. So how did we repair? Not that it's perfect right now. Right. It's an ongoing dynamic, being trustworthy, maintaining trust, falling short of trustworthiness. You can both do it. Falling short on any one of these three, falling short on truthfulness, falling short on reliability, falling short on knowing ourselves, but then repairing. So it's that's still happening. But as you said, in the beginning, we had a particularly big hill to climb. We, you know, hit some pretty big barriers earlier in, in the relationship than was helpful and that we needed to repair. Yeah. The first step in the repair or a critical step was coming to an agreement that this was an issue. Right. Did we both understand what it is exactly? So this is figuring out everything we're talking about in this podcast, more or less, you know, what what are the issues? What are the behaviors? that we're seeing here? Is there a pattern? Do we understand it? Why is this happening? Where is it coming from? And uh, are they connected to trust? So if we had stayed in that place where I said, we need to talk about the fact that it's seemingly most of what you've told me, <laughs> told me early on about this relationship with Jay was a lie. And you, mm -hmm. and you continued on your course of action saying, no, it wasn't a lie, or I didn't lie. Yeah. Then obviously, we're going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. You needed to acknowledge the areas in which you weren't trustworthy. And that's hard mm -hmm. because, yeah, every, right. as you're saying, everyone wants to see themselves as a trustworthy person. So that was a somewhat difficult admission for you to, to, to make. Because I was not good at handling shame. I mean, my whole life, one of my go-tos was do everything I can to avoid it. And, mm -hmm. and here we were starting on this road where I agreed to face it, more or less. I, I Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try to get to the, the truth of 
every single situation I can think of and try to put make some kind of sense of it. And and I have to just deal with the fact that that's going to make me feel bad. <laughs> Which it did. Yeah. But you did it. You started, I mean, that was kind of the the impetus, a major impetus for starting the journaling and the writing process that we've talked about yeah. where you wrote pretty much every day, went back into the past into this kind of forensic analysis mm -hmm. of what you could actually remember trying to dig up memories that you had compartmentalized and set aside, trying to figure out the through lines with G and your family and R and J and do an honest accounting of who you were as a person and how you got to where you were when we started our relationship. And it was vital to have help with that. Because if I were to just be, been on my own trying to do this forensic and research and not having anybody to run it by, back to this how do I know thing, I mean, I had you to just check me on things. You would see inconsistencies and you would call them out or you witnessed something firsthand or you had a lot of stake in it. So it was very helpful. Plus, we had things like text records and things like that, where you would say, when you told me this, were you lying? You know, And then I could actually read a text and go, wow, there, no, that one right there? You that said, was not true. That, yeah, you, I must have been lying. Cause I, yeah. So I was able to see ones firsthand that weren't even ones that, that were coming from this, oh, I wrote the lie first and told it later thing. This, like, this was like, nope, that was a real-time lie right there. And also, I think it was helpful... And we talked about this in the healing codependency season to have someone that had a different perspective on the world. Because, mm -hmm. like I said, you had internalized a lot of the lies that people had told you about yourself. Um, you had a skewed version of yourself that was mm -hmm. cloaked in shame and fear. So, you, you know, this is the kind of the competence yeah. part, reliability part. You were not even a particularly reliable narrative of your own life because no. it had so much shame and fear attached. So I could, yeah. you would describe it maybe a situation and and I could say, well, that doesn't sound right. That sounds like the other person was behaving terribly or, right? Mm -hmm. I, I could mm -hmm. give you another perspective on, on your own story. Yeah, it was really difficult doing this forensic research and having to to reconnect the dots on so many of these things because like you said the shame and the fear completely diverted me when these things actually happened mm -hmm. for in in various directions in various ways in some ways so severely that i just compartmentalized the situation immediately and so it's almost just like i erased it the second it happened or something and then other times i was able to access it if i had just enough information to go with or other times i learned enough about myself to say ah oh, this is probably what happens and then once i sat with Yes, this is probably what happens. Ah, yes, it was what happened. I, I can remember now. And all the way through that, you were exposing yourself to shame and to my judgment, even though it was very painful and had a number of benefits. One, we talked about before, getting you, building up your shame muscle. Yeah. Making you feel more confident that you could handle the shame. And then in terms of my exposing yourself to my judgment, telling me things that you've never told anybody Mm -hmm. that you've never even allowed yourself to look at honestly because of the fear of what that meant. That's a tremendous trust building for me. Mm. <laughs> that just demonstrates to me that you're putting the relationship and my needs for honesty before your own shame and fear, which yeah. is part of what I really needed to see. So even though some of the things that you told me might have felt shameful to admit, they actually made it easier for me to trust and to feel connected to you. Yeah, and it was a, a gamble for me because I remember thinking like some of this stuff is not gonna feel good to say, you know? Mm -hmm. And also, am I gonna say it well? I had a lot of trust issues in myself. Yes. You know, I already had almost no trust in myself 
before all this began. Once it did begin, it was almost like the more I learned, I had this take a few steps back downhill before I was able to climb again because it was like, oh my God, yeah, I didn't realize I was so dishonest and things like some of these things were so severe that it it just gave me even more pause and like, this is going to sound horrible. Yeah, if I'm honest about this, you're going to want to leave. I know, right? Yeah. But then the more I did face this stuff and the more we talked about it and the more I didn't die or whatever I thought my body was thinking was going to happen if I faced shame, I started to build trust in myself. And then as I started to build trust, then other things start to happen. You know, I start opening up to other avenues of, of being able to approach all these things and just the relationship and then there, and then eventually emotions. So yeah, my emotions were still very dead. Not dead, that's the wrong word. My emotions were still very muddled mm. in, in those earlier days because I hadn't done any work trying to figure out what they were. I just, I just didn't, I didn't have an order for doing this stuff. I didn't have a roadmap or anything. It was just, mm-hmm. I knew something about the fact that I wasn't good at processing emotions, but I couldn't even really articulate it that well. It was just like, what's wrong with my emotions? I don't know. Everything's good and bad. And so, yeah, as I started to recognize shame and be able to go, oh, that's shame. Yeah. Oh, that's fear. Oh, that's happiness, whatever. That really opened up a massive avenue for me. So we had agreement that this was an issue, and now we're kind of moving into talking about how you went about demonstrating to yourself and to me that you were worthy of trust. Mm -hmm. We have an example of what you were just talking about for yourself in terms of feeling like you could trust yourself more. We were watching a romantic comedy. (laughs) Those were often problematic for us. Yeah, yeah, we struggled with those, yeah. Which I guess was good because Mm -hmm. they just brought up issues that we were struggling with. And... Um, yeah, we had a really unsatisfying exchange afterwards in which you had kind of gone into a shame spiral mm-hmm. and did one of these shame venting things where you kind of said something that was not very nice to me. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like mean or cruel. It was just, it was, I was looking for reassurance and you were offered me further confusion, sort of saying. Yeah, I just went straight to straight to shame and then I was just like fish flopping on the ground right. and like trying to recover and not recovering, making it worse. Like, right. Yeah. But anyway, do you remember when I'm talking about it in terms of mm-hmm. the next day, how you process that? Yeah, yeah. So I remember being, uh, and this is something I've done a lot, just where I was up most of the night thinking about it, which actually wound up being a useful thing for me. <laughs> so I get up kind of fresh and having kind of taken some time to to think about it, which is the complete opposite of what I used to do. Like what I said earlier, just I would say, oh, I need to think about that. Nope, that gives me shame. I can't. This time I spent the entire night thinking about it and then went and tried to write something about it. I, yeah, I was doing this daily journal thing and I was like, what? okay, let me try to analyze this in a different way. What what exactly was I feeling? Why why do I think I did that? Mm-hmm. You know, which is not something I was able to really handle in the past. Why do I think I went there? You asked me a simple question and, and I could have given a, a direct answer that was, you know, I had one, you know, it would have been Satisfying totally fine. And it would have, yeah, and it would have been, you know, and, we would have, and night would have ended. Instead... I went straight to this, the early, early days of a relationship that I was a little ashamed of because just my emotions, I couldn't handle my emotions like this, like I'm talking about, like this ball of emotions where I couldn't separate them and couldn't understand them. And then I had all these things, shame and fear for pulling me in different directions and these active codependent behaviors because Jay still had access to me. So I was thinking about all that. And so my, my, my answer was coming from that place, just from shame. And so basically what I was able to figure out was that, okay, I think I've moved past shame at this point on this. And now I'm just feeling awful that I just wasn't present. I wasn't present for us, for for what we 
should have been experiencing, what you were experiencing because you didn't have muddled emotions. You were a clear person. And I had those emotions in there, but I wasn't able to just kind of sort them out. You know, I wasn't able to set aside fear and shame sufficiently in any given moment. So this was kind of me. I was able to to kind of spot, separate these Right, move past just shame, which is this kind of overwhelming, immobilizing emotion, and mm-hmm. just say, oh, well, actually, what I'm feeling right now is remorse yeah, and regret. More like remor- remorse, yeah, for, for that. I could have behaved totally different during those days, but instead, this is how this is how it happened. Which maybe doesn't sound great, because, you know, people who struggle with shame, it's like, oh, great, yeah. I get remorse and regret. <laughs> That's so much better, right? right? And and there's no getting around. I mean, you don't get a free pass no. from bad emotions. Nobody does. Right. But if you know, have a better sense of what they are, remorse and regret, it's much easier to bear them and to move past them and to discuss them with other people. Yeah. To, so come to me and say, you know, what, what, actually what was happening last night, it was just I have remorse and regret for our early period because mm-hmm. I wanted it to be different for myself and for us. Yeah. Which is a lot better than just blurting something out in a shameful way. Yeah, and the reason why romantic comedies were so difficult... Um, where because of that, because of that disconnect, and, and, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was, and it was too shameful for me to think about. So I couldn't even really talk about it. Mm-hmm. So instead, we'd have situations like this, where you'd ask me a question at the end of a round of comedy, and I'd be like, uh, go into a shame spiral. So that, those kind of recognitions, internal recognitions that you made, would you say those were a large part of what helped you have confidence in yes, absolutely. the change? Yeah, because I really think that connecting to my emotions is what really set me on the path of being able to recognize all of these behaviors real time, or at least as quickly as possible as after they happen. You know, in the earlier days, there was a much larger gap if we had a night like a situation like this or something. So I spent this entire night, you know, nowadays, if we have something where I get shame is triggered, I am much better at seeing, oh, this is shame. What? Why? Why am I feeling this? Rather than trying to just kind of react to the shame and then figure it out later, you know. So now it's like, oh, why am I? Why am I feeling this? Oh, okay, it's because of this, this, this. Okay, now it's still painful. Obviously, it's not good to feel remorse and regret, and but the goal is not to not feel them, and and or to avoid them at this point. The goal is to interpret them, and so I feel like these emotion, the fact that I have and can process my emotions in a way that I've been aspiring to, it, it has had the effect of telling me that I'm on the right path. Because when I think back to the olden days of, say, like during the J relationship, during the Arbor, I just had this general sense of, oh, I feel awful. This is something's not right, but I have no idea what it is. It must be because I'm depressed or something, you know, mm-hmm. just just looking for just some kind of explanation that had nothing to do with reality i couldn't access my emotions properly and go oh i'm feeling anxiety because i got abused an hour ago you know i just i can't i couldn't do that and so what what i've seen from the outside the evidence i have for that are things like when now when i ask you a question that could be a difficult question in terms of your past behavior or even your current behavior or it might be just it it used to even be what I thought was an innocuous question. Yeah, right. Like, what do you love, love about me? Or why right. do you think we have a good relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Again, asking some reassurance. And in the past, both of those types of questions could have caused the kind of situation that we were just talking about where you would kind of go into freeze mode. You would say something that maybe 
maybe was kind of obviously made up, you know, as I right. got to know you better. <laughs> right. And I'd be like, mm, no, try again. Or yeah. or say something that was, yeah, it's kind of completely unsatisfying and sometimes almost dismissive, right? Because yeah. you just didn't want to deal with it. And then there'd be this whole crisis on both of our sides. Well, then you would gradually get, get better and you would, one, be able to recognize if you needed a break, you know, you, if I was triggered. Yeah, you're like, I'm triggered. I know this isn't the situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we have this conversation later? And then you would go away and do what you, act, you used to say you were going to do and not do. Is yeah. actually think about it or write about it and then come back prepared with an answer that made a lot more sense to yeah. me. Um, mm-hmm. That seemed more real, given what I know about you and myself and our relationship. So I saw that that evidence and that demonstration over time as well. And again, you going back and just being so thorough about thinking about our past and your past was more demonstration that that you were committed to this to this process. But it it did take and it has taken longer for me to get fully on board with the trust train yeah. than it did for you, which makes sense. Yeah, right. Well, because I can think of lots of situations in earlier in this process, like near the beginning of this process, not the beginning of the entire thing where I wasn't even trying, where you would ask me something, how do you know this? Like, mm-hmm. How do you, and, and it was something emotion-based. And I say, well, I just, no, I, I just do, I just feel it. And, but I couldn't explain it. And I still am not great at explaining my emotions sometimes because I feel like it's something that I was, n- I was never able to do. I was never able to identify emotions my emotions for most of my life and so once I was finally able to start doing it I was just I just kind of had this momentum and this excitement that like holy crap I know what's going on now I'm getting signals here that I understand and so for me I was getting evidence long before I could give that reassurance to you so this demonstrability I was able to demonstrate it to myself before I can demonstrate it to you like with tangible evidence that I could feel myself gaining agency over myself, trusting myself. And I feel like trust and agency kind of go hand in hand because when I didn't trust myself, I just would just defer to everyone. Right. And that's part of, that's a core feature of codependency too. Mm-hmm. I don't trust myself. I don't value my wants and needs. And in, in, in my case, I didn't, not only did I not value them, I didn't even want to have them because that gave me shame if I thought that I had a want or a need and I wasn't going after it basically, or I was letting it be walked all over or controlled by someone else so yeah at this point i was able i was getting emotional signals that i was starting to experience this that okay no i am in actually in the right place here i'm doing the right things i'm with a person that i i actually love and that i know i i know this feels right i've been able to do forensic emotional analysis too so like when i did this forensic analysis of looking back at previous situations a lot of times i'm able to go back and almost kind of dig out what my emotions were that I was avoiding at the time. Like, oh, yeah, I was, I was, I was just overwhelmed with shame when that happened. And then this is what I did. This is how I reacted to it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, the emotional signals were coming internally in terms of my trust. I need have needed more externalization of, of those yeah. signals, and you've gotten better at that for sure. But so, I mean, just to be concrete, I mean, so some of the examples would have been, well, how do you know? that you want to move in together when yeah. we moved in together. Because, yeah, in the past, it was just kind of, you were just swept up with this exactly right. <laughs> narcissistic yeah. vision. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not what I wanted. I wanted this to be intentional and be an expression of both our desires to be together in a certain way. And, yeah. and, and you were just not practiced in that. No. But w- you would do it and 
when you would examine your emotions and and then you got increasingly better at talking using emotional language as well yeah, which yeah. is which was helpful for me yeah right i do remember that was that was an example of how do you know you want to move in and my answers even though i felt like it was the right thing to do the way i expressed it and i wrote it out and like read it to you or let you read it or something yeah was just uh, transactional logistical well, yeah, yeah there was sense. no there was no emotion at all in it right there was not a single thing about like oh i, I just look forward to spending my days with you it was just like, oh yes financially this makes sense there's <laughs> <laughs> furniture <laughs> yeah <laughs> so and as we're saying you get those signals internally and you've been increasingly better at verbalizing those mm. as well as demonstrating in other ways when you say you're going to think about a topic i need you to think about you do so you bring it up and and you do so sometimes at cost to yourself which i think is is also so so critical but yeah. you know the, the, that the question again that the listener asks is i think a question that's going to stay with you for a long time because all of us struggle with it to some degree, because knowing ourselves is not always easy. No, right. And you yeah. again have this, and we talked about this in season two, kicking the codependency habit. Mm -hmm. It was not just habitual dissociation, it was a habitual deference as well. Yes. Habitually lining up with other yeah, people. Yeah. So, you know, choosing a restaurant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you want, do you actually want to go to Italian or are you just, are you just like, if I want Italian, you're just, okay. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, sometimes I think you have to push yourself a little more to, to make sure that you are honoring yourself mm -hmm. and your own desires. Yeah, and actually, we this is something we talked about in previous episodes also, the, um, you know, watching things like language, because those are a signal mm -hmm. that maybe I am defaulting back to this powerless position. So it's not just important because it's like, oh, that sounds powerless. It may actually be powerless. It's really important for me to be looking for that stuff, and, and it helps me a lot when you look for it. And we point it out. I try to correct. So evidence of me making improvements on that front, because powerlessness is at the core of codependency, is that I'm recognizing this stuff quickly, like much more quickly now. And it's not just you pointing it out. Maybe for a while it was just you pointing it out. Oh, that wasn't a very good we that you just said there. Right. You know, we liked that restaurant mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm recognizing it. I find actually more often than you or before you uh, these days. I think so too. And one example as well, a somewhat small one, but I remember early in our relationship when I would make a suggestion about or ask you a question, do you want to go for a walk after lunch? And you would say, we could. Oh, right. We could. You did that a lot, right? Yeah, right. We could. And I'm like, well, I know we could. I was asking you if you want to. You don't do that at all. Anymore. Right. I can't right. remember the last true. time you said, you just answer my question. It yeah. was so it was almost like you were stalling. Like maybe you didn't. I wanted really you to make the decision. To. I didn't want you to make me make the decision, right. yeah. you know? And then there was this kind of interim version of that where, okay, I stopped saying that we could, but I still said a passive, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't like sure. <laughs> I know. Do you want to? You don't. Yeah. So th this is uh, over time as well, consistency being key in addition to there being actual evidence is that are you consistent over time? Yeah. So some of the stuff, as as we we're saying, you got to earlier than I, just because I just needed more time to see it happen and to see it in play, mm -hmm. to see it show up in our in our everyday life, that you did have a much better sense of who you are. You are capable of honesty and truthfulness even when it means some p emotional pain for yourself. Mm -hmm. And you, I always felt that you were committed to honesty and truthfulness. Mm -hmm. You weren't a pathological 
liar. Yeah, trying to control you or something. Yeah. That that you wanted to be that. And now you've become, to my mind, a very trustworthy person. Yeah. So the reliability part that I've I've been able to demonstrate it. So this is where time does come in, though. Mm -hmm. Time, as they say, can heal all wounds, but there has to be an effort to make those wounds heal, though. So it's not just time. You know, because you could do nothing with that time. Because time can make wounds worse. <laughs> yeah, right. I think you They're said once, like, a broken arm or something. It's not, If you just leave it broken, it's never going to heal properly. Right. So 10 years from now, I just have this arm that's hanging down all weird. That's, that's not for you. So, But you have to actually work, do some work to heal the wound. <laughs> yeah, so really, you healing yourself and from the trauma and the wounds that were causing, you, causing the codependent yeah. behaviors, that's what also healed our relationship and, and the trust fissures that had occurred. So that's our take on the ongoing journey that is trust in relationships, in our relationship, in any case. As always, we love to hear from you and your ideas and take on, on trust and your experiences with it. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok by searching Codependent Mind. And our email is codependentmind at gmail.com. Hello, this is Brian the codependent mind of this podcast. Thank you for listening. I wanted to let you know that we have started a Patreon page where we are posting bonus content and hosting a private discussion forum. There's a link in the show notes if you'd like to check it out.